risen. All right, they got you warmed up for it. One more time, he is risen. Praise the Lord. Thank you so much. I, I don't know about you, but I was, I was, I worked up a sweat over there while we were singing. I was having a good time as we celebrate our risen Savior. He is not dead. He is alive. We praise the Lord for that truth, for that reality this morning. It's not just a story. It's not a fairy tale. It is a historical fact that Jesus Christ died on a cross and three days later he rose victoriously from a grave in the city of Jerusalem, and today he is alive, and Scripture says he is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he ever lives to intercede or, or to go before the Father on our behalf, and we celebrate that reality this morning. So thank you for joining us for this Easter Sunday. Well, I know um, from my experience in life, and, and maybe you would agree with me, that there are, there are two kinds of people in life. Right? There are people who are great at starting things, and then there are people who are great at finishing things. Does, 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 does your experience bear that out a little bit? How many of you would say, I'm on the, I like to start things? Maybe not finish, but I love to start things. Anybody admit that this morning? My hand is up. I, I love new things, and uh, usually I get tired of them before they're finished. And I need to start something else new. And so at my house, there are several unfinished projects. Um, I, I went in my closet this week to find a shirt for Easter. And I realized I had, I had shirts that needed to be taken to the dry cleaner. And I, I, they've probably been there a year. And I thought, oh, I forgot about that shirt. You know, anybody else? Anybody? No? Okay. Just bearing my soul to you this morning. And then there's people who are great at finishing. How many of you, you can't, you can't sleep until something is finished? I mean, you're just, yeah, weirdos. You guys are weirdos. <laughs> just kidding. I, 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 I am, uh, I respect that trait greatly. Um, but in our lives, and, and maybe sometimes in a, in a, in a married couple, there's one, one spouse who's good at starting things and one spouse who's good at finishing things and maybe there's some tension there every once in a while. I don't know. That's not true in my house because my wife and I are both terrible at finishing things and so, <laughs> you know, we need somebody to come help us uh, sometimes. In our first year of marriage, uh, more than once, our power got turned off, not because we didn't have the money, just because I forgot to pay the bill. It was just, you know... I'm growing and I'm learning and I'm doing better, but anyway. Hey, this morning we are going to talk about finishing. We're going to look at Jesus' last words on the cross where he just simply says, it is finished. We've been in this series here at our church for the last several weeks looking at the last few chapters in the book of John. John chapter 13 starts off where Jesus is in the upper room and he washes his disciples' feet and then he institutes what we call the Lord's Supper or communion where he gives his disciples broken bread and he says, this is my body which will be broken for you and he gives them a cup of wine and he says, this is my blood which will be spilled for you, that's in John chapter 13. In John chapter 13, he tells Judas, one of his disciples, that you will betray me. He tells the apostle Peter that you will deny me three times in John 
chapter 13. And then the story continues into John chapter 14, and Jesus begins to teach his disciples his last words before he would go to the cross, his final teachings to his followers. And in John chapter 14, Jesus says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. In John chapter 15, Jesus begins to teach his disciples about the gift of his Holy Spirit which would come. In John chapter 16, he says, you will face trouble in this world, but do not be afraid because I have overcome the world. It's what Jesus tells his disciples right before they go to the garden where he will be arrested by a mob of soldiers and religious leaders where he will be tied up and taken to the mockery of a trial. There will be false witnesses who say things that are not true about him. He will stand before the Roman governor named Pontius Pilate who will condemn him to die on a cross. We see so much in these last chapters of John about the last words of Jesus Christ. You know, the last words of someone are always important. They're always important. My grandma is here this morning, and it's so good to see you, grandma. And my grandpa, is he's not able to be here this morning, and uh, he is 94, and we went over to his house this past Father's Day with my dad and my brother. I've got two little boys, and uh, my brother has a little boy now. And so we were just, and my Uncle Carly, so we were just doing some Janny boy stuff, you know. And, uh, and my dad said, talked to my grandpa, and he said, Dad, tell these boys what it means uh, to be a Janny man. And he began to tell my boys what it meant to be a Janny, to wear your last name well. And it started with, we love Jesus, and I'm so grateful for that. And he told them how to, how to be respectful and, and how to honor women in their lives, and, and it was just a great time to hear from him. Recently in January, it was his birthday, and, and we got to go to the facility where he's living now, and, and he greeted everybody, and he didn't remember everybody quite so well, but he knew uh, who, that, that he had a bunch of great grandkids there. And after we finished greeting them, he said, I'd like to say a word, and, and he gave us a little speech. And I love those moments as he just shares his heart with us. It's what it was like for Jesus in these last moments before he would be arrested and tried and crucified. It was his last words to his disciples. In John chapter 17, Jesus prays for his disciples. And not only that, it tells us that he prays for those who would come to faith because of their testimony. That's you and I, those who have called on the name of Jesus for salvation. Jesus prayed for us. And then in John chapter 18, we see the story of Jesus arrested, taken before the religious leaders. In John chapter 19, it tells us that Pilate condemned him to death on a cross. Good Friday, we looked at the, the timeline of Jesus, what we call the passion of Jesus Christ, where he was mocked and ridiculed and beaten and nailed to a cross. But we're going to pick up the story in John chapter 19, verse 25. John chapter 19, verse 25. If you have a Bible, you can turn there and read along. The, the scripture will also be on the screen here behind me and up on the walls. We're going to read uh, about six verses. John chapter 19, verses 25 through 30. Jesus is now hanging on a cross. 
in a place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. And here's what Jesus says, verse 25, standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. And when Jesus saw his mother and the disciple he loved standing there, that disciple is John, the one who wrote this account, he said to his mother, woman, here is your son. And then he turned to the disciple, here is your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her into his home. After this, when Jesus knew that everything was now finished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, he said, I'm thirsty. A jar of sour wine was sitting there, so they fixed a sponge full of sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it up to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. Then bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. Let me pray. Oh, Lord Jesus, we thank you that we can celebrate this morning that you are alive. And as we look at your last words on the cross this morning, Lord, I pray that you would open our eyes and our hearts to see your truth, that we would understand exactly what you finished on our behalf on the cross, that we would see and understand exactly what you accomplished for each of us sitting in this room. And Lord, that you would give us the faith to turn to you as Savior this morning. Lord, I pray that those who are here this morning that need to be encouraged, pray that you would encourage them. For those here this morning that need to be challenged, I pray that you would challenge them. God, I pray for all of us that we would experience your presence and power as we look at your living word, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. All right. Jesus said, it is finished. Say that with me. It is finished. One more time. It is finished. Jesus was not the kind of guy that started things without finishing them. Jesus finished what he started. And on the cross, he finished a lot. We're going to look this morning at several realities of what it means that Jesus, when Jesus said, it is finished. What does it mean what did Jesus finish on the cross? Firstly, Jesus finished the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. Jesus finished the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. God's word is divided into two parts, the Old Testament and the New Testament. The Old Testament starts with the book of Genesis, and it tells the story of creation from the very beginning. It tells how mankind turned their back and rebelled on God. It tells the story of how God made a way for people to come back to himself and called a special people, the nation of Israel, to be his very own people. The Old Testament tells us about the law that God revealed to his people. You've heard of the Ten Commandments. That's the law of God. And it was the way that humanity interacted with God in the Old Testament. It tells the history of the nation of Israel. In the end of the Old Testament, we see prophets. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel. These are books of prophecy. And, and prophecy is just this. It is a foretelling of what is to come. A declaration of true things that have yet to come about. And in the Old Testament, we see prophecies that point to the person of Jesus Christ. In fact, there are over 300 prophecies in the Old Testament that are fulfilled in the life of Jesus Christ. 
The Old Testament tells us where Jesus would be born. It tells us how Jesus would be born. The Old Testament tells us that Jesus would be rejected by his own people. It tells us that he would be condemned to death. It tells us that he would be pierced. The Old Testament tells us that soldiers would gamble for Jesus' clothing, the only property that he had on earth. Right here in John chapter 19, verse 28, it says, After this, when Jesus knew that everything was now finished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, he says, I'm thirsty. In the book of Psalms, we see a prophetic word that tells us about this man on the cross that would be thirsty and they would give him bitter gall to drink. That is this picture of this sour vinegar wine that they gave Jesus on the cross. Over 300 prophecies are fulfilled in the person of Jesus. And when he said, it is finished, he was finishing the culmination of all of these prophecies that would point to him. Jesus is teaching in John, in the, in the Gospel of John, chapter 5, he's talking to the religious leaders. They were called Pharisees. And they understood all of the Old Testament, the prophecies and the law. And he says this to them in John chapter 5, verse 39. You pour over the scriptures because you think you have eternal life in them. And yet, they testify about me. Jesus is saying all of those things that you have studied in the Old Testament, they're talking about me. And if you want to truly understand all of Scripture, you need to understand that this whole book, from the front to the back, is about Jesus Christ. It points to Jesus who would be the Messiah, the sent one of God who would be our Savior. After Jesus' resurrection, the Gospel of Luke tells us in Luke chapter 24, tells us that Jesus appeared to a couple of guys who were walking along the road. And Jesus says, what's going on, fellas? And they said, haven't you heard? The Messiah was crucified in Jerusalem. And Jesus said, oh, really? Tell me about it. They don't know that it's him. And they start to tell him about all the events that happened in Jerusalem. Luke 24, verse 27 tells us, then beginning with Moses, that is the law of God, and all of the prophets, Jesus interpreted for them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. Then it tells us that their eyes were opened and they saw that this was the risen Savior. Because Jesus finished the fulfillment of all the Old Testament prophecy there on the cross when he said, it is finished. There's one other verse in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20. 2 Corinthians is a letter written by a guy named the Apostle Paul. And Paul hated Jesus. He hated the church and he hated Christians. In fact, he persecuted them. He, he took them to jail. He presided over the martyrdom or the execution of more than one follower of Jesus. But something happened to him. His life was totally transformed on a road to Emmaus one day. And he became a follower of Jesus who would give his life for Jesus Christ. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20, he says this, For every one of God's promises is yes in him, that is Jesus Christ. Therefore, through him we also say amen to the glory of God. Paul is telling us that all of the prophecies, all of the promises point to Jesus. And Jesus is the yes of God for every one of those prophecies and promises.
When Jesus said, it is finished on the cross, it is because he completed or finished all of the Old Testament prophecies that pointed to him. I want to read you one of those prophecies out of Isaiah chapter 53. Isaiah is one of the greatest prophets of the Old Testament. The book of Isaiah was written over 600 years before the birth of Jesus Christ. Isaiah tells us that Jesus would be born of a virgin. It tells us that he would be Emmanuel, God with us. And in Isaiah chapter 53, Isaiah describes the suffering of Jesus Christ. In verse 3, he says, He was despised and rejected by men, a man of suffering who knew what sickness was. He was like someone people turned away from. He was despised and we didn't value him. Yet he himself bore our sicknesses. He carried our pains, but we in turn regarded him stricken, struck down by God and afflicted. But he was pierced because of our rebellion, crushed because of our iniquities or sins. Punishment for our peace was upon him and we are healed by his wounds. We all went astray like sheep. We all have turned to our own way and the Lord God has punished him for the iniquity of us all. When Jesus said it is finished on the cross, he was saying that he had finished or completed every prophecy of the Old Testament that pointed to him, including this prophecy of Isaiah that says the Lord has punished him for the iniquity of us all 600 years before the birth of Christ. The prophets told us about the one that would come to be the sacrifice for our sin. Which brings us to the next point when Jesus says it is finished, he finished the sacrifice for sin required by the law. When Jesus said it is finished, he finished the sacrifice for sin that was required by the law. A moment ago, I was talking about the law and the prophets. The prophets pointed to the Messiah. The law told us the rules. The law told us, Romans 6, 23, that the wages of sin is death, or the payment for sin is death. The penalty for sin is death. A wage is something you earn. Uh, when I was in high school, I was not a great student. Remember, I didn't finish things well, including homework. <laughs> So my senior year of high school, I had the option of taking calculus or business math. And I thought, business math sounds pretty good. I'm not going to be an engineer after all. I'm going to be a preacher. What a, I don't need math. So in business math, our first week, we learned how to calculate our salary by multiplying our hourly wage by how many hours we worked. It was pretty awesome. You work 10 hours for $10 an hour, you get 100 bucks. It was pretty easy. I still got a C in the class, but <laughs> a wage is something that you earn. This scripture says the wages of sin is death. The reason it says the wages is because we have earned the consequence of our rebellion. Each of us sin. We make selfish choices every day, right? I mean, it's just part of the deal. We know it. We say you shouldn't do that when somebody cuts us off in traffic and then we get mad and cut off the next guy. Like that's a simple illustration, but it points to a much bigger picture. We say, why would you treat me that way? Why would you hurt me like that? And then we do the same thing to other people because 
we have this problem. It's sin and selfishness and rebellion. It's part of our human DNA. And the wage, the payment, the penalty for that sin, Scripture says, is death. But here's the good news. Jesus finished the sacrifice for sin required by the law. It goes on. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The book of Hebrews is in the Old Testament, I'm sorry, in the New Testament. But it's written for an audience that understood the reality of the Old Testament law. Hebrews are the people of Israel. And so the writer of Hebrews points to this Old Testament sacrifice required in the book of Leviticus. Let me read you Hebrews 10 verse 1. It says, since the law has only a shadow of the good things to come and not the reality itself of those things, it can never perfect the worshipers by the sacrifices they continually offer year after year. The writer is saying there is this law and it's pointing to something good, but it can't accomplish that good thing that it's pointing to. Verse 4 says, it's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. This was the sacrificial system. People offered animal sacrifices to pay for their sins, and the writer says, that's no good. How's the blood of a goat or bull going to take away sin? Then down in verse 10, he continues this idea. He says, by this will, that is Jesus' will, his will, we have been sanctified or made holy through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all time. Every priest stands day after day ministering and offering the same sacrifices time after time which can never take away sins. But this man, Jesus Christ, after offering one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. When Jesus said, it is finished, it's because he finished the sacrifice that was required by the law for sin. Once and for all. The final sacrifice was made. Colossians chapter 2 verse 14 gives us a really good picture. It says, he, Jesus, erased the certificate of debt with its obligations that was against us and opposed to us and has taken it away by nailing it on the cross. This penalty of sin, this certificate of debt which we owned because of our sin, Jesus took away by nailing it to the cross. Anybody ever owed money? Oh, come on now. <laughs> Anybody ever got a call from the bill collector? Yeah, okay, you don't have to raise your hand about that if you don't want to. <laughs> this scripture tells us that Jesus erased our debt. It, it would be like when the bill collector called, Jesus answered the phone and said, taken care of, don't call here anymore. That would be nice. <laughs> if I had somebody in my house to just take the call. That's a, a silly example, maybe, but it helps us understand that there is a debt in our lives, and there is a kind of debt that we could never pay. It doesn't matter how much money you have, doesn't matter how good you are, you can't pay the sin debt that we owe because of our rebellion against God. Jesus finished paying that debt on the cross. But not only did he finish paying that debt, he also finished the work of defeating sin and death. Because if you pay a debt once, then you might be able to accrue some new debts. 
Maybe you've paid off debt before and you're like, yes, I finally paid it off. Let me go charge something else. <laughs> I mean, when I was in college, they were just like throwing credit cards at me. Hey, you'll get a free t-shirt if you apply for this credit card. All right, let's do it. And then they just wanted to give me money and, you know. You might pay off debt, but we've all experienced in life that we can accrue new debt. But when Jesus Christ canceled our sin debt on the cross, he didn't just cancel our past debt, but he zeroed out any future debt that we would have also because he conquered sin and death. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verse 54 says, death has been swallowed up in victory. Where death is your victory? Where death is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. When Jesus says it is finished, he finished conquering sin and death on the cross once and for all. Not just our current debt, but our future debt as well. He canceled death and sin so that one day we might live in victory. We sang it this morning. He called my name and I came out of that grave. Jesus Christ made a way for us when he said, it is finished on the cross. Not only did Jesus accomplish all of the prophecy of the Old Testament, not only did he fulfill the sacrifice required by the law, not only did he conquer sin and death, he also finished or completed the will of his Father. You see, Jesus didn't accidentally find himself on a cross. Jesus was not just a victim of wicked men. The death of Jesus Christ was planned from the beginning of time when man turned his back on God. Jesus finished the will of the Father. Again, the Apostle Paul wrote a letter called the letter to the Ephesian church, and he says this in chapter 3. This fulfillment of Jesus Christ on the cross, this is so that the multifaceted wisdom of God may be known through the church to the rulers and authorities in the heavens. This according to the eternal purpose, eternal purpose, that is God had a purpose from eternity that was accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In him we have boldness and confident access through faith in him. Romans 8 verse 3 says, for what the law could not do since it was weakened by the flesh, God did. He condemned sin in the flesh by sending his own son in the likeness of flesh as a sin offering. Galatians chapter 4, I love this verse. Again, written by the apostle Paul, whose life was transformed Verse 4, it says, when the time came to completion, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those under the law, right? He paid the penalty of the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. God had a plan from eternity. It wasn't an accident that Jesus found himself nailed to a cross, when Jesus was born in Bethlehem in a manger, God had a purpose. When Jesus lived his life, he knew that ultimately 
he would die on a cross to finish the prophecies of the Old Testament, to finish paying the penalty of sin that sacrifices could not undo, to conquer sin and death, and to accomplish the will of his Father. Over and over, Jesus says in the Gospels, I I want to do the will of my Father. I only do what the Father tells me to do. In John, uh, in John chapter 17, when Jesus prays, he says, Father, I have glorified you by completing the task, by completing the work that you have sent me to do. That is the work of the cross. He accomplished the will of the Father. And that Galatians chapter 4 tells us that he came born of a woman born under the law to redeem those under the law so that so that we might receive adoption as sons, which takes us to our final point. When Jesus said it is finished on the cross, he finished all of the prophecy of the Old Testament, he finished paying the penalty of sin, he finished conquering death and hell and the grave, he finished his Father's will, but he also finished the work of reconciliation of redemption, of salvation. That is, that we might receive adoption as sons. Again, the Apostle Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 17 through 18, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and see, the new has come. Now everything is from God, who has reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. Everything is from God, he says, who has reconciled us to himself. You see, the law said the penalty for sin is death. Jesus paid that penalty and he conquered death, accomplished the will of the Father so that we could be reconciled to God. Reconciled. We were enemies, and now we're friends. We were far from God, and now we can be called his sons and daughters. We were dead, and now we're alive. It says, the old is gone, the new has come. He finished the work of reconciliation. And then John chapter 1 tells us this. Jesus came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, he gave them the right to be the children of God to those who believed in his name. When Jesus said, it is finished on the cross, he wasn't just talking about his final breath. He wasn't just talking about his life here on earth. When Jesus said, it is finished on the cross, he accomplished so much in that final moment. He fulfilled and finished and completed every word of prophecy that pointed to him from the beginning of the Old Testament through all of the prophets. He made final payment for the sin debt that each of us owes. And not only for past sins, but, but he was victorious and conquered death and sin forever when he rose from the grave three days later. He made a way. 
And it wasn't just an accident. This was the Father's will from eternity. This was the Father's plan that he had set in motion through his Son, the second person of the Trinity. God is Father and Son and Holy Spirit, and together, in unity, one God and three distinct persons, there was a plan, and it required the sacrifice of the only Son of God. It's the only sacrifice that could finally, once and for all, put away sin. And when Jesus said, it is finished, he accomplished that perfect will of the Father. And what is the Father's will pointing to? Well, it's pointing to reconciliation. Everything is from God, who has reconciled us made us right, who has redeemed us, rescued us, ransomed us, brought us out of the pit. So that when we turn to Jesus, the old is gone and the new has come. And so when Jesus came to earth as a baby in Bethlehem, a plan was set into motion. A plan that ended with his death on the cross where he said it is finished and his resurrection from the grave. And Jesus got the last word. <laughs> when he rose from the grave, he got the last word in. I know y'all are like me that, you know, maybe, maybe, you're, maybe you finish things better than me. I bet some of you, the people that finish things really good, you love getting the last word in an argument, right? <laughs> I think we all do. But in this conflict between sin and salvation, Jesus gets the final word, the last word when he says, it is finished. And so today, Scripture says, as many as receive him, who call on his name, they are given the right be, to be called the children of God. I'm so glad you are here to celebrate Resurrection Sunday, Easter Sunday with us. And I want you to know that Jesus accomplished salvation for you. He finished that work on the cross and in his resurrection. And today you can be a part of that. John 1 says, he came unto his own, but his own did not receive him. In other words, this work that Jesus has finished and completed on our behalf is something that must be received. It's something that must be accepted. It's something that must be surrendered, submitted to. And maybe you've never put your faith in that finished work of Jesus. But the scripture says, but those who did receive him those who did call on his name, he gave the right to be called the children, the sons and daughters of God. And so Resurrection Sunday is not just about our resurrected Savior. It's about the fact that when we put our faith in Jesus, we are given new life. The old is gone, the new has come.
So this morning, I want to ask you to stand up with me. I'm going to pray. I ask you to bow your heads and pray with me. Jesus, we thank you that when you said it is finished on the cross, that you accomplished our salvation, that you fulfilled every word of prophecy, that you conquered sin and death, and that you opened a way that we could be adopted as sons and daughters of God. Lord, I pray for anyone in this room this morning who doesn't know you as Savior, who has never come to a place of surrendering to that truth, that today they would turn to you. They would receive you and your reconciliation. Lord, your word tells us that this is something that must be received. Something that we must turn to and surrender to. So Lord, I I pray for anyone in here this morning who has never done that that you would draw them and call them to yourself today. God, for those of us who are struggling right now, life is hard, Lord. Reminded even this week as we did a funeral for a loved one in this church. But God, you have given us ultimate victory over death. That our future is heaven, as we sang earlier. So, Lord, draw us to yourself, I pray. If you'll keep your heads bowed and eyes closed for just a minute, I want to pray for you this morning. But I want to ask, is there anybody this morning who would say, I've never come to a place of faith to put my faith in Jesus Christ as Savior. But today I I recognize that that's something that I would like to receive. Today, I want to put my faith in Jesus Christ, the Savior. If there's anybody like that this morning, I would just ask you to raise your hand just so I can pray for you this morning. Just put your hand up so I can pray for you this morning. Anybody like that at all? Praise the Lord. Amen. Amen, amen. Well, Scripture says if we confess with our mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in our hearts that God has raised him from the dead, we will be saved. Scripture also says that when anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. When we come to that place of faith and surrender to him, our life becomes new and we turn from living life on our own terms. We must turn to God. It's called repentance. To live our life on his terms. So this morning, if that's your desire, I would invite you to just pray a simple prayer that says, God, I know that I'm a sinner, and I know that the penalty for my sin is death. But I thank you that you sent Jesus Christ to pay the penalty for my sin, to raise from the dead. Today, I put my faith in him. I ask you to save me, help me to live for you. If that's your heart's desire and prayer, I believe that God will save you But that's a first step. We want to know about it. So when you fill out the connection card and take it over for your free Chick-fil-A this morning, just put on there today, I prayed, receive Jesus as my Savior because we'd love to follow up with you and help you take next steps in following him. Well, this morning we celebrate his grace. We're going to sing a song of celebration before we dismiss this morning. But before we do that, if anybody wants to come and pray this morning, I'll be down in the front. Love to pray with you. If you just want to come and
Ask God to help you live in the victory that he has made a way for. I invite you to do that. However God is leading you, I invite you to respond.